Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. And this is a podcast for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate having to send hundreds of cold emails and make dozens of unanswered phone calls in order to get the attention of someone that really doesn't want to talk to them. So if that's ever happened to you before, if you ever felt that way, you're definitely in the right place. I'm super excited. We're having, for a second time on the show, Christina Finces. She's the Director of Growth Marketing at a company called Interseller. And we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff prospecting today, so I'm excited to get to it. The mastery is something that I've been really sort of fascinated with in the last you know three or four years is really thinking about, you know, now that I've been selling since about 2008, so what, 13 years, 12, 13 years, you know, three or four years ago, I started really thinking about, well, how do you attain mastery in this? Outside of just doing something for a long time, how do you attain mastery? And what are the things that are required to attain mastery? And that's what we're going to be talking about today from an outbound standpoint is what do you need to master? What's okay to not be that good at, but what do you really need to master? And in talking to Christina, one of the things we talked about on the last episode she was on was just her cold calling framework, or her cold email framework, excuse me, the FIRE framework, how she approaches cold emails in a unique way where she doesn't really talk about herself, her product, service, nothing like that at all, which, which I'm actually a big fan of. And today what we're going to talk about is something a little bit different. It's sort of above the framework and a little bit more about the approach. And we're going to talk about one mastery of channels. So if you're really good at email or really good at social or really good at phone, do you need to be good in some of these other areas? We're going to have a little bit of back and forth on that. The other thing that we're going to talk about too is, and this one's a non-negotiable, I'll spoil it for you, is mastery of the problems that your prospects are facing. So do you have a really, really good understanding of the people that you're reaching out to, what their priorities are, what the problems are that get in the way, and how are you building business acumen? You know, how are you building this knowledge, this education around who your prospects are and the bigger picture things that they're dealing with? And she has some really good ideas on how to find that. And then lastly, what we're going to talk about is repeatability. And we end up getting into some really good conversation around how she onboards reps and what's really funny is the work that I do with companies, I consider a lot of the stuff that I go through is what you would go through in, during an onboarding process. So it's kind of like a uh, onboarding version 2.0 <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So we're going to talk about that, and, and uh, you'll get a lot from that as well. So I'm super excited. Before we get to the episode today, if you're listening to this and you're an individual rep, one of the things I want to ask you is, what are you doing to level up right now? Are you one of those folks that you want to get into that top 5%, 10% on your team. You want to be in sales as a career. You want to level up. And I work with a lot of these top reps and have been a top rep myself. And, and one thing I know is that you know top reps don't sit around listening to podcasts like these all day and watching webinars all day. Hopefully this is one of just a few hours a week that you spend consuming information and you're spending most of the time either prospecting, closing, or if you're doing both those activities, you're, you're doing both of those things. That's where top reps spend their time. And the, the challenge in really leveling up is knowing what to work on that's going to move the needle the most for you, right? With the hour or two hours that you do have during the week to level up, what are you listening to? 
What are you consuming? And this is exactly why I started Outbound Squad. I found that there was a lot of reps coming to me and a lot of reps in our programs that really craved accountability structure and results over theory. And they weren't quite getting that either from their existing role or company or whatever it might be. And they just really hated hitting these sales plateaus in their sales career, even though they were doing well. And with Outbound Squad, we just launched our second cohort. We got 25 folks in there, a bunch of badasses. And we're really helping support you in three ways. One is world-class coaching. So from myself and other you know, folks, every single week, giving you coaching, helping you when you're stuck. Two, world-class training content created by myself and other guest trainers that come in the best stuff. I'm 100% confident you're not going to find anything better on how to do outbound in a very tactical way that's not cookie cutter, that you can customize for your own approach. And we're adding sales content in there as well. So if you're an account executive or any other full cycle sales role, you're going to find some good stuff in there. And then third, community. So surrounding yourself with the best reps out there to push you and hold you accountable. I hand select every single person has to fill out an application and talk to me before they come in. So I hand select all the groups. So if that sounds like something that's appealing to you and you think you're up for the challenge, I'd love to hear from you. It is a paid program. We let in around probably 10 to 15 people per month. And you got to meet the requirements and you got to be a badass, you know, and, and take action. So if that sounds like something you're interested in and you're a rep, email me at jason at blissfulprospecting.co and just put squad in the subject line and I'll hook you up with some more information. And if you're listening to this and you have a team of people or you run a company or you're a sales leader, we have programs for companies as well. So hit me up. Jason at blissfulprospecting.co, put squad in the subject line, I'll help you out. And without further ado, let's uh, let's get to the interview with Christina. So big updates from you since the last time that we talked. You shared them right before we hit record, but just for everyone else here, you just bought a house. That's a pretty big deal. And I got a welcome mat and that was like so exciting for me. Yeah, no, we bought a house. We upgraded for those tiny home livers that can understand where I'm coming from. I have been stuck in a two bedroom apartment with one bathroom with three children and my husband for the last like five years. And so we just upgraded to four bedrooms and two and a half baths and a fully finished basement. And I'm like walking around getting more steps in my day than I used to. <laughs> so it's kind of surreal. I'm still pinching myself. What's the work from home setup? Did that change at all with the uh, the adjustment? Yeah. You know what? I had a really solid work from home setup in my apartment. I just need a corner. I need a standing desk because I don't like to sit all day. And I like to have positive things sprinkled around my desk. So yeah, everything's in place and I'm feeling like I've got my right environment. So love it. Well, you've been up to a lot work-wise too, which I want to dig in. And one of the things that sounds like it's been top of mind for you and I've been thinking a lot about too is typically when I work with companies and I'm working with an SDR team versus an AE team on prospecting, there's kind of this gap in knowledge with the SDRs of what the AE will be covering in the call. And they kind of undersell what the call is when they focus a lot on the demo. So, for example, I'm working with this company that sells like a robotics like kind of solution. And I listen to the discovery calls that the AEs do, and they have a ton of not only industry experience, but they really do a good job of educating and informing the prospects. So they kind of get from an outbound standpoint what that would be. And it's like kind of marrying those two things together. 
But this topic of subject matter experts, how do you, well, I guess, why do you think that is important for any SDR or someone prospecting to demonstrate some sort of subject matter expertise? Why is that even important to do? Yeah. I mean, listen, if you like, this especially comes into play if you are not going like a, the personalization route, you're trying to figure out a way to cut through the noise. I think taking the approach of, I am a subject matter expert and maybe it's fake it till you make it in some degree, but taking that approach of I'm a subject matter expert. I know what it's like because I'm talking to other people day in and day out that are in your shoes and here's the problems they're facing and here's how I'm trying to help them navigate it. I just think that it builds a layer of trust and people are responsive in general when they feel like you've got some sort of value to add, whether it's something tangible or what you know, you having the pulse on the market, you having the pulse on what your ICP is experiencing on the daily. So I think taking that route has just been super helpful. And that's something that, you know, my team's doing. That's something I've been talking to other SDR teams about deploying. And it's really helped to boost replies and engagement and getting conversations started. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know who said it, but I'm sure you've heard the show me, you know me phrase. And it's, you know, especially depending on where you're selling into, if you're not selling to salespeople, which most folks are not, I would imagine that are, you know, listening and watching this. You're selling to someone that is doing something completely differently that might be very technical in nature, and you're just a salesperson to them. <laughs> you know, when they get your email or your phone call, how do you define subject matter expertise? What makes someone a subject matter expert? Yeah, I mean, you've got to know your resources. You've got to be digesting content, right? You know, I think there's two things that I can kind of share here. One is I'll kind of share the flow of what I think an email that comes across as like, hey, I am a subject matter expert could look like for uh, an initial touch point. But also I think you've got to be consuming third-party content that more often than not your ICP already trusts and is also consuming because then you can use that as preface to follow up, right? Like, hey, I was reading an article in technology leaders and they were talking about X, Y, Z, right? If I'm reaching out to a technology leader, they're going to trust that versus, hey, and by the way, here is a white paper on how our company helped XYZ company, you know, cut through the noise. Which is not really a white paper. It's more like a testimonial, you know, disguised as a white paper. (laughs) No, yeah. But, you know, people are going to trust third party kind of like common ground content. And it also shows that you're, you're reading, you care about more than just me, 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 my company, my company, company, we can help you. You're, you're talking about things that are relevant right now. But for that first email, usually the way I like to kind of position that, and it's totally counterintuitive to what I preach about in the outbound fire framework, where I'm talking about like, Hey, don't put in, you know, who you are, what your company does or problem solution, anything like that. It's a little bit different, but normally how I would position that is like, Hey, Jason, in talking with other sales consultants. I'll just say it that way. Two of the problems they're facing right now are one, how to land more clients, two, how to increase personal brand to drive more inbound clients. I'm just kind of spitballing here. We're helping companies like, or other sales consultants like, I'll just say Josh Braun, right? Boost more clients and boost his personal brand to drive more clients, blah, 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 right? 
Is this something you struggle with? Open to a quick chat. So you're taking more of that. Hey, I know because I'm talking to people, here are two problems that they're facing. We're helping relevant companies or relevant people that are like you and they have to be like you. I hate it when people are like, hey, Christina, we're helping Google with paid ads. I'm not working at a company that's close in size or budget to Google, right? So it doesn't really matter to me. But you're just, you know, kind of being punchy with how you're helping those people. And then, hey, is this something you're struggling with? So I think it just paints the picture that I may have some knowledge about how your competitors are doing things. You might want to at least get on a call with me, right? So I think that's what we're trying to do here is get that ticket to a conversation. And once you get them on the call, you can kind of do what you do best, right? Yeah, it sounds like a big part of this is subject matter expertise is also, I kind of throw business acumen in there too. I sort of use those interchangeably. Demonstrating business acumen, I think, is a really underrated thing because a lot of people think that the path to a meeting is talking about how good you are at that thing versus talking about how much you know about that thing and what other people are doing. Just with people that you don't know, it's much more enticing for me to hear someone talk as if they are a peer of mine versus talking about how good they can help me with something. I think the challenge is I love this approach and it's what I 100% recommend, especially cold calling. It works really well too. You know, at the beginning you do your permission-based opener and then it's, well, Christina, I, you know, I talk to a lot of VPs of sales and they usually tell me one of two things is happening right now. This thing, this thing. Which one's happening for you or which one do you relate with? And it allows you to filter the conversation. The challenge, though, I think, is how do you get that information? So how do you, because a lot of what people will come up with will be really broad. Like the example you gave before to be like, hey, Jason, I talked to a lot of sales consultants and they're either focused on finding more clients right now or getting better results for their clients. And it's kind of missing a little bit more to make it a little more punchy. Because that's what literally anyone that services clients would be would be doing. How do you find that information to fill in you know, those problem statements or those priority statements? Yeah, I mean, listen, one of the things that I think not enough people do is surface where people are talking about these or having these conversations. Like, for example, I mean, I'm going to look at what you're posting about, right? I'm going to go and search relevant hashtags on LinkedIn to surface conversations around these kinds of things and try to digest those and figure out what other people are are sharing and experiencing that are actually in that position. I think there's something to be said about just digesting content that people are having conversations on, right? And then, like I said, the, the industry publications are obviously very helpful too, but you're right. There is that line of like, you don't want to come across as, hey, I've been talking to other people in like, the computer software industry, right? (laughs) Where it feels like it's not personalized, there's gotta be a little bit more meat in there. So yeah, I think my example to you is just on the fly, but I probably would clean that up a little bit more to make it punchier too, so. So you're looking at, and that was not, by the way, meant to call you out in any way. It was (laughs) more of a just a- (laughs) General conversation there. Like, oh man, J-Bay's putting me on the spot. Yeah, I love the idea of, you know, just really basic social searching, you know, if the person posts on LinkedIn. The other thing, too, is kind of looking to thought leaders in that space. Most any department that I can think of, whether that's CIOs, CTOs, chief revenue officers, CMOs, whatever it might be, there are usually thought leaders in that space in those positions that create some sort of content and even kind of looking at what they're talking about. 
what or what consultants talk about or the content they create, that sort of thing. With industry publications, because this kind of segues into the content, the third-party content, how do you find out what kind of stuff your prospects are consuming? How do you how do you recommend, I guess, finding these like really, really good insights to share with people that aren't just some really shitty blog post off Inc.com or something, you know? It can't be a really shitty blog post. You've got to go for well-known publications if you want to. And here's the thing. Like if I'm using, let's just say it's an article on entrepreneur, right? Like if I'm using an article on entrepreneur, that's relevant, a relevant topic. Like if I'm reaching out to cybersecurity folks, maybe I find an article on cybersecurity. It's off entrepreneur. It's definitely reputable. It might be opinion-based. That's okay too. You're not necessarily banking on the fact that they themselves have read that specific piece of content. You're banking on the fact that it's a relevant topic to them based on who they are and what they do. And you're using that to preface a follow-up. So I'll say something like, hey, do you happen to you know, read content on entrepreneur.com? They put out this recent uh, cybersecurity article about the future of AI and its impact on cybersecurity. Thought it was super interesting because thought you might want to add it to your list. By the way, and you kind of surface back to the reason why you're following up. So instead of doing that traditional like, hey, thoughts, did you get my last email? Or, hey, just bumping this up in your inbox. I like to use it that way. But you surfaced something in the beginning of our conversation, and maybe it was before we hopped on, or maybe it was while we're live, I can't remember, but listen to the AE's calls. Listen back, whether it's through course or gong or some sort of technology where you can listen on your own time and hear how those prospects are talking about their problems, talking about their workflows, because you want to try to use their lingo too and read reviews, go on G2, see what they're, how they're talking about and reviewing similar products, especially if you're going after someone that's with a competitor or something like that, being able to kind of consume and figure out how to package things the way that they say it and recognize it is going to be important. Yeah. I love the G2 thing is really great. You know, looking at competitors. The other thing uh, Jed Mowerly from uh, PandaDoc shared when he was on, I thought was brilliant, was competitors case studies. Even your own case studies too. I, I noticed that a lot of companies have really great case studies the reps don't even look at or know about. If it's a good case study, it's got some word for word language in there and what people we were trying to accomplish this, and then this was getting in the way. It's the perfect setup, you know, for any kind of outbound message. Okay, so demonstrating subject matter expertise, it sounds a lot like is pay really close attention to what you're hearing from the prospects that you talk to, what your AEs are hearing, and make sure to convey that information to other people. Because most people are not like us where they hop on a podcast with their peers and they get to like chop it up all the time. Most people work kind of in a silo in their company, right? So hearing what other people are doing and sharing that, it sounds like is a really big part of what you're seeing work well right now. Yeah. And I think that, you know, part of where that knowledge sharing needs to happen, especially if you're in like a globally distributed team or heck, even just a remotely distributed team where you are kind of on a siloed island doing the prospecting hustle, because I've been there too, heads down, you know, having like a a collaborative Slack channel that's just meant for that kind of knowledge sharing so that people can get sharper and learn from it can be really helpful. And also just creating some sort of like collaborative documents, right? Whether it's through Google Docs or Google Sheets and like trying to document this as a team and making it a team effort. I'm a big fan of living, breathing documents, you know, that people can 
add to and kind of crowdsource information across the team. So I think those can be really powerful as well. Love it. One other thing I want to share too that I thought was interesting. One of the clients I was working with, their C- they reach out to CIOs and their CIO happens to be a pretty big wig in the industry that gets interviewed on a lot of other podcasts in publications. There's also really good content to share there. And it kind of is a double whammy where you share something that your CIO is sharing. So it's helpful for the prospect. It also builds kind of some social proof at the same time for you too. So if you work at a big company and there's a thought leader or two at your company, that's another really underutilized resource that I've seen too. I think so too. I think another spin that I've seen personally from some of the teams that I've been working with is using the company podcast as a way to source prospects. Hey, by the way, would love to also get you as a guest on our podcast where we talk about CIO topics, right? And using that because, I mean, let's be honest, Jason, most of us, you know, we like that ego push of, oh, they want me on the podcast? Well, maybe I'll have a conversation with them too, because that's really nice, right? So there's like this psychological piece where, you know, people want to get on and be able to talk about themselves sometimes and You can use that as a trigger to get the conversation started, whether that's a long-term play or not. I still think that it's a a win. No, absolutely. So let's talk about, so we talked about subject matter experts. There's another thing, and you wrote a brilliant post about it too, where, hey, we have to be good at more than one channel when we prospect. If we lean way too heavily on email, phone, LinkedIn, you know, it's really kind of risky actually when you think about it. You know, because the popular channels and the things that work well kind of changes based on where attention is at. LinkedIn happens to be really good right now, depending on who you prospect to. But sooner or later, it's going to get really, really crowded. And in a year or two, it's going to be something else is going to come along, you know. And I'm seeing a, like a push back towards phone now, too, where 10 years ago, people were like, oh, the phone's dead. No one's picking up the phone. It's kind of making a resurgence because people just aren't using it as much anymore. But we're... Why, why is it important to really have a level of mastery on, on more than one thing? Like, why, why would a rep that only relies on one primary channel, why should they invest the time in the other ones? Because you'll be a triple threat. <laughs> I mean, like, listen, um, we all have our preferences and we all have our strengths. And I think there's an element of playing to your strengths, right? But I think there's also this element of what's not strong, you've got to try to make stronger. Right. And so the reps that I see securing and blowing their meeting quotas or whatever their quotas might be based on out of the water are the ones that are able to utilize what I consider the three main channels. Now, someone had commented on that post and was like, well, what other channels do we think are going to disrupt the industry? And it's like, I don't think that it's necessarily that there's going to be new channels. There's just new tactics that come into play, right? Like people are using creative tactics, but if you're not deploying cold calling, social selling, and cold email, I just think that you're leaving food on the table. And the ones that are bringing on and using three, all three channels, maybe you're using, maybe you're a cold email person like me. And you're using other channels to kind of drive back to your email. So you're using language like, hey, in case you didn't connect the dots, I've also sent you a couple of emails. You're still kind of trying to connect back to your bread and butter, but you're using the other channels as a means to get that conversation going. You're going to secure more opportunities because different prospects respond to different tactics on different channels. And so you're just widening your net, but in a really thoughtful and intentional way. 
you have any data interseller around multi-channel versus uh, singular stuff, like people that just email versus people that call as well? I can tell you that we use all three channels. One of my SDRs definitely relies on all three channels and she's converting somewhere around four or 5% of her outreach to booked meetings by using that cross-channel approach. So, I mean, listen, she's been on vacation this last week of this month because she had already hit her goal for the month. Like she's just crushing because she knows by using all three channels, she's able to get to her goal faster, but she's also the kind of person who when you're halfway through the month and you're recognizing like where you're at with your quota, she's also the kind that will pick up the phone and just do a lot of dials to try to supplement and offset that. So you've just got to be able to play all three and know which one you could hustle on at the last minute and prioritize to maybe hit goal. But I think all three channels are are just, they're just powerful. So that's my spiel for now. Do you guys see anything with the users of Interseller? Is there any data there that you see around multi-channels type of stuff that you've been able to capture? Not necessarily customer data. Um, Our manual task component is relatively new. And so what I mean by that is primarily we were just, you know, email platform. And then we kind of over the last, I'd say six months started adding in the functionality of like, adding in cold calling steps and adding in you know, social selling steps. So I think the data is a little too early to tell just from customer adoption. But I'll tell you this much, more of our customer base is using manual tasks in addition to email versus not using. So I can tell you that much right now, but I'm not going to give you fake data. So yeah, I just, I would be surprised if done effectively. I mean, you don't, increase your, at least your positive reply rates by two to three X by, by using two channels instead of one. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, what, what do you see in the work that you do? What's the average open rate for a company? Maybe not your company because you guys are good at it, but just with other companies and other folks that you see, what's an average open rate for an email? Yeah. And open rate, you know how we've talked about this before. I feel like it's not my number one, like favorite metric. It can be telling if the other ones aren't happening, but somewhere around 50 to 60% on the open rate. I personally, like the companies that I work with, I strive for that baseline of 50% plus. I feel like the baselines are way too low. And I know you agree with me on this across the industry, but I can speak for our team. We're getting around 20% reply rates. And that's not, we're not talking unsubs and you know, F-offs, we're talking insightful no's and, and interested. But for other companies, I like to see 10% plus, you know, on reply rates. So yeah, it's interesting. I feel like people are setting that goal line a little too low. We can all achieve more. It's just, they don't know sometimes where to start. Well, and the reason I asked too with the open rate is that even if it's off, like you could probably assume roughly half of your emails aren't getting opened. So how do those other people, how do those people hear about you if they don't, if they aren't opening up the emails? <laughs> yeah, that's how you bolster it by getting those conversations started on other channels, right? More than likely they prefer to be called or they prefer to be, you know, chatted with on like LinkedIn. And who knows, those might be channels that are better for them, or they just might not care about any of the channels and are going to ghost you no matter what. But yeah, you're right. That's why you've got to do that to scoop up additional opportunities that aren't responsive. What have you guys learned through implementing phone? Because I know in the past when we've talked, you've been very email heavy because I think people could learn a little bit from that because 
my hunch, at least in the work that I do, what I see both with reps and then teams of reps is that people tend to rely more on emails than they do on a phone. I, I usually rarely see it the other way around, although that does happen. But for the people that are like lean very heavily on email and very kind of and LinkedIn, which I would refer to as very passive, you know, ways of prospecting. What lessons have you guys learned incorporating the phone? What were kind of maybe the baby steps for people that either don't believe in the phone or having a hard time implementing it or don't know what to do? What are some baby steps that helped you guys get started that would be good lessons for some other folks? Yeah. And I'll give a quick shout out to my teammate, Erica, because she's the one who kind of spearheaded testing and, and reporting back on how cold calling uh, was going. And, and trust me, it was something that she felt uncomfortable doing, but she, her desire to figure it out outweighed her fear of failing on the phone. So really actually been learning from her, which is like the best part of leading a team is she's bringing stuff to the table that I'm not even, you know, doing or pushing. So I'd say the biggest things and the way that she kind of started with this is taking a little bit of an easier and digestible way to measure how phone works by using like using it as a re-engagement strategy. So basically what she did to start with was take everyone from like the previous month that she had loaded into kind of the, the email and social selling cadences that did not reply and using that as her call list for the following month, running through that three or four times. She found that three to four times was about the time that it was like, okay, this the list is kind of exhausted and I'm going to go ahead and move on to you know, the next list. Um, And at the same time, I think a lot of times she ends up incorporating her cold calling at the end of the month. So the final like week, week and a half of the month too, just to help bolster her closer to her goal. And so I think those are the two ways that she, she kind of did it. I know she ended up using connect and sell for just a little bit. Sometimes that's hard if you don't have a whole lot of numbers that you're trying to call through. How did you guys find that with the personalization piece of it is kind of tough with connect and sell because you're getting connected so quickly. It can be a little tough to, I used to, I come from B2C call centers, by the way. So we used a lot of auto dialers and things like that. And it's like, not only is it fast paced, but if in B2C, you're not, you're not really customizing the outreach. You just have the person's name and basic information, you know, how did that part go? Or did you guys try not to even do much of that? I mean, listen, it's not a perfect system especially with everything, you know, the way that we typically approach outbound, it's a little bit of a mismatch, you know, using a power kind of like a dialer like that. But I can tell you there were months where this year she's booked almost as much through the cold calling as she did through email and social. I know I'm just looking at the data right now, even for June, I'd say, see, she booked 21 meetings in June and Five of those came from cold calls. So, and I'd say probably a pretty equal amount between LinkedIn and and Interseller. So yeah, I mean, it's just the power of that multi-channel. She's she's picking up opportunities that she wouldn't have picked up if she didn't pick up the phone or, you know, have that multi-channel approach. So I'd say it's a pretty good supplemental for us, not necessarily our bread and butter, but it works. Yeah, that's killer. I mean, 25% increase, you know, 25% of the meetings, you know, yeah, that's big. 
Is there anything else you can share around the phone around what you guys were working on messaging wise or structure? How did you guys even approach creating the talk track? Any of that kind of stuff you guys can share? She took the lead on that. I'm actually trying to pull up her cold call script now because we kind of ran through it together. But basically, Erica crowdsourced it, basically had conversation with other like industry leaders who are really, really strong at cold calling and put that into a script format and basically built workflows. Like if they respond, just send me information, how she would object to that or how she would try to maybe go back. She basically mapped everything out to her best ability and relied on the scripts in the beginning, especially just for a level of comfort and confidence. And then as time went on and she got more comfortable with that channel she was able to kind of, you know, not wing it, but you know what I mean? The script's just a fallback, right? But mapping out those workflows and the possibilities of what you might hear all the way down to the F off, never, never call me again responses helped her to build that confidence. So I don't have the talk track right in front of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Dang it. <laughs> I know we were going to go there. I would have totally had it pulled up, but yeah, she's a, she's a preparer for sure, which I can appreciate a lot. I mean, I think that what you talked about right there is a way to help most people overcome the hurdles with cold calling is, you know, where does the reluctance come from? I mean, certainly there's a fear of rejection, but a lot of it is, well, I've never done it before. I don't know what to say. I don't feel prepared. And yeah, it's a pretty daunting thing to do if you don't have some sort of game plan, you know, to help. You know, it's really easy to say, just be really confident. But the preparation, I think, is really important. It sounds like you guys drilled through it a lot. And uh, that sort of thing. And just doing simple, quick role plays and getting comfortable with what you're saying and even just role playing with yourself too, you know, just getting some reps in. It's just, it's like anything else, you know, it takes, takes some practice and it's, you're going to be nervous when you do it. Yeah. I mean, but I think there's that element of, you know, as humans, we like to know what all the outcomes could potentially be. And if you do that and you, you then work with people around you who support you and can help you tweak and you know, make things better. What have you got to lose? If the worst thing you're going to hear is, you know, never call me again. This is horrible. Okay. (laughs) I mean, let's move on. Right. So I think, you know, just being able to prepare for that will help. I think it would help people be more comfortable with just picking up the phone and knowing they have a game plan, at least for different variables that might happen. Yeah, absolutely. So repeatability, that's another thing that we talked about that's been top of mind for you. So we've kind of gone through the, hey, you need to demonstrate subject matter expertise. You got to master all of the channels. And then how do you think about, um, even just in the work that you do, like helping people do it, and then also from an individual, how do you, wh- how, what do you think about, I guess, how do you think about repeatability? That might be a good place to start. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that, and I'm sure you might be able to relate to this just with some of the clients that you, you've you worked with in the past and, and maybe currently, a lot of what some reps struggle with is staying on schedule, intentionality, right? And so I think it's really hard, like if you were running outbound here on my team and you were doing things differently each day and maybe not sticking to a solid schedule. Maybe you, you pushed your manual tasks by two days when it should have been today, right? Or it should have been yesterday. And the data is not super clear. It's really hard for me 
to tell what's working and what's not if we're not following steps to the day and having that intentionality around what we're doing. Once everyone's on the same page and they're intentionally running through the steps in the order that they're supposed to be in, it's really easy to figure out, look at the data and say, okay, these things are really working. I think we found our A, this is repeatability. And so I think there's a lot of testing. Sometimes there's a lot of things that happen to lead to that point. And that's definitely been the evolution I've seen in kind of what we've built here at Interstellar. But now, like I have one rep right now who's in ramp. He just had his first full month here, but you know, July is like the worst month probably to start doing outbound sometimes just because it's summer and everybody's complaining about unresponsiveness. It's like the summer dread. And what I usually have them ramp with is for the first, you know, three months, they're really just following one specific framework that's multi-channel and, but they still have some ability to instill creativity into that framework. It's more the steps, the channels and how they're spaced that are the most important. I'm really, really proud. I feel like I'm just going to like shout out everyone, but he's booked seven meetings this month. One of them actually closed one already at 1000 plus MRR, you know, a month, which is great. His quality is there, right? And since he's following the framework, it's repeatable. It's working. Now for me, being in a position where I was managing one SDR, now managing two, and I'm like, in my own head, Like, can I get this person to also replicate the success? It's exciting to see that validation that we have that repeatable process. I saw that with the first SDR. I'm now seeing that evolution with the second SDR. And that's when I know, or at least I'm telling the story I'm telling myself is we can keep doing this and we can keep getting people up to speed. And then over this three months, he'll have the ability to kind of gain more of that subject matter expertise confidence then be able to start testing his own variations of things in month three. So that's kind of what I strive for, for the team, but repeatability means you can also scale it in my opinion. And repeatability means that you can hand something to someone else and they can see similar success. And so I think those are the pieces that are really key, being able to scale it and get other people to success using the exact same thing. That's when you know, you've got something I think pretty special. So with the repeatability, I love this piece because um, I think, yeah, there's scale when you think of across an organization. And there's also just, hey, this is, is this repeatable for myself, you know, as an individual? This might sound like a really stupid question, <laughs> but when you look at repeatability for your SDRs, the repeatability come from just handing them like, hey, here's the sequence, like having a step-by-step thing that they can, they can follow. There's step-by-step, but... The thing is, is like with, with our key framework that we use, you still have to have personality. You still have to be able to instill some creativity. You still have to be able to personalize. It's not cookie cutter, right? You have to be able to do LinkedIn voice messages. You have to be able to do the research components. So it's not necessarily like, hey, here's the sequence. Just put it under your name and hit launch. There's a lot of elements that go into that. And so I, like, I'm like i of the mindset that the first week, and I did this with both SDRs on my team, first week we go through people, tech, process, right? Like those are the three big pieces, people, tech, and process. By the Monday of the following week, 
they're launching their outbound, right? They're starting to prospect people in according to how we work through it. But I consider it situational and asynchronous learning at that point. And so what I like to do is as situations are happening, because that's when the best learning happens. We can talk about how to do outbound until we're blue in the face, until you actually start doing it and things happen that you need to react to. That's the best time for learning. So we're constantly working through those situations as they come up after going through kind of that initial learning. So, but there's definitely, it's not just like handing a sequence and saying, all right, cool. All you got to do is just drop the right people in there from these target accounts and you'll be good to go. There's still a lot of creative thinking that has to happen there. How do you create repeatability around the stuff outside of the sequence? I built out the training program around it. So a lot of times I'm working hand on hand, uh, hand in hand with the reps to create the target account list in Sales Navigator to talk about what's good to personalize on, what's not. Like when are you digging too far? What's the rabbit hole and how do you avoid it? Right, <laughs> so that you're not spending 50 minutes trying to personalize on one prospect or one account. Um, so a lot of that happens in onboarding, and there's also just a lot of material that they can digest at their own time too, just to go back to and refer to. But a good portion of training is who are we selling to? What are we selling (laughs) clearly? And what are the best tactics for getting in front of those people? And that's kind of what we, what we lead with. So, but again, a lot of that, a lot of the best learning comes once they put it into play. That's when the real magic happens. And so being able to be responsive and help them through those situations I think is where the best learning comes from. So the reason I asked about the sequence too is believe it or not, a lot of companies they use sequencing tools, but they don't actually have any, at least kind of a sequence is essentially a roadmap. I don't know why people don't really think about it like that when they see, oh hey, in, in three weeks I'm gonna do six calls, six emails, three social touches, or whatever it is. It's really a roadmap that is like it's meant to be followed from start to finish, you know, and then you can customize it, but it's really like hey, here's the thing that will get the meeting. And if I get it before then, obviously that's a huge plus. But they don't even have that piece in place, you know? I want to talk to you about the onboarding, the people tech process. How do you, how do you think about educating the, per, like your SDR that's got seven meetings? Probably, I imagine the job before this wasn't prospecting into the same types of people that you guys are now. How do you, how do you teach? How do you think about teaching the high level Here's what the industry is. Here's who we're reaching out to. Here's what they care about. How do you how do you think about that? That's the part that I think is tricky for a lot of companies because they want to just bring someone in and be like, all right, we just want you to go and we'll figure everything out, right? <laughs> and it's like you've got to, there's got to be some level of pre- preparation, but not too prepared. Because I do feel like the industry knowledge and some of the more granular components come as you kind of put boots on the ground. I just think that's what's going to happen. But, you know, the way that I do onboarding, and I'll pull up my onboarding schedule too. I'll even show you my onboarding schedule. I don't care. Um, The first day I'm looking at it now, the first day is literally all systems, right? Like what systems are we using? Because process is important. And we do have a really set process for Salesforce and how to use Interseller and Hey, by the way, let's give you a really in-depth demo of how Interseller works because you really you're going to be using it too. You're going to be a power user in your role. But then also going into learning material that they can consume each day. So if I can actually share my screen, and this one's been crossed off a lot, but basically each day 
there's also additional learning material to dive into. So, you know, we're talking about a lot. We're going through a lot of information, but hey, here's some content you can consume during your non-training time, your desk time, your breaks, whatever, at nighttime, heck, whatever works best for you. Check out the call recordings list. Look at our use cases. Look at our customer and video testimonials. Start getting familiar with some of these pieces because there's an element of just being resourceful and learning on your own. Can you scroll back up real quick, just for the people that are going to be listening to this? Sure. There's a couple of things I noticed too. All of the things that we talked about earlier in this interview around mastery and, or not, sorry, not mastery, around understanding who you're reaching out to, what's important to them, all that stuff. You have all of that built into your onboarding. So the use cases, the case studies, the testimonials, the G2 reviews, other people's call recordings, you build all of that into your onboarding. Absolutely. And they can refer back to it. And I'm a big fan of crossing things off the list. So this is just me saying, all right, we did all this stuff, right? And then, you know, we start getting into what's the competitive landscape look like? What do, what integrations do we have? I like them to meet with other key teams to understand how departments work together. You know, where's the overlap? What are they responsible for? ICP and prospecting is a big bucket too, right? Like let's go through what that looks like. And then there's usually, again, there's learning material. And then starting day two, there's some sort of task or mini project that needs to happen. So in this case, use Interseller, our own platform, and set up a sequence to book one-to-ones with the team. It's a low-risk way of getting familiar with the platform, right? And using it and building your first cadence and kind of just getting, getting in the tool. And then we go through kind of our entire framework and process, you know, how to, to go through that, what the SDR to AE handoff looks like. Yeah, same learning materials. We have learning sessions. So selling points of inner seller, personalizing messages and using our custom fields. And then here, here's what you need to do. Set up your first outbound email sequence, right? And start prospecting. We want to launch you on Monday. So just start getting familiar with it so we can start working through some kinks. And then usually towards the end, it's talking about the importance of calendar blocking, avoiding burnout, making sure you take breaks and time time off because I'm a big fan of that. And then metrics and goals, reporting review, you know, what are we going to be talking about? So I try to keep it pretty broken up and digestible. So we're not covering big topics every single day, too many big topics every single day, but really key pieces of the role are each day. So Yeah. I mean, this is just an example. This is like more of a scaling selfish question for me. (laughs) Where do you think what you have right now would break if you had 25 people that had to go through it at once? Ooh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like, side note, Jason, I wouldn't hire 25 people to start on the same day. (laughs) Crazy if I have to be real. But if if I hired, let's just say three SDRs tomorrow and then knew they were all going to be starting... I honestly think that that could be a really good thing because I think in this case, they can all be in it together. There's going to be deeper level of conversation and idea sourcing and kind of collaboration because they're going to be figuring it out together. So I think that this is repeatable, but to that point, I haven't done this on more than one person at a time at this stage, right? So yeah, I think that's a valid question. The reason I ask is that it does look very repeatable. So it's kind of just interesting to hear 
Because a lot of that, and just again, for those listening, you weren't able to see what I was just about to see. It's you're basically, it's a table of contents where you've laid out every single hour of that person's day, the first week, and it's linking out to all kinds of other resources and documents. And it's, you're not having to come in and teach the same thing over and over and over again every time you onboard a new group. You're thinking of it like how you, and you've, you have a, you know, a course. So you know what it's like to build a course. And you've applied that same sort of thinking to the onboarding process where, hey, there are certain parts of this that I don't need that are going to be the same exact thing every single time I do this. I that needs to be more repeatable for me. I can't I can't just live train and onboard people every single time I do it. No, you've got to have something repeatable. And so honestly, I took because Erica was my first SDR onboard, right? I followed a, a similar process to what I just showed you. But then what I did before Miguel was gonna start is I said, Hey Erica you know, quick question. I'm putting together this onboarding plan again for Miguel. Is there anything that you wish you had in yours, right? Like, is there anything that you think is missing? And I got her involved in kind of looking through it and thinking through how can we make it better each time? So I still think there is an element of like, you need to figure out, is there anything in the process that's changed? Anything in the tech that's changed? Those are always going to be things that have to be updated. But also crowdsourcing that information from your existing team. Is there anything you wish you would have gotten? Now that you're in the role for, you know, for her, it's she's like eight, nine months in. Now that you're in this role for this long, what do you think would have been helpful? <laughs> there are a few things in there that she didn't get, right? Because learning. So I think um, it's important to, to keep it repeatable, but understand that you, you do need to refresh it ever so often to make sure everything's up to date. Having onboarded your second SDR now, is there anything that, any advice you would give to your old self when onboarding the first one, knowing what you know now? Yeah, well, I will tell you this much. One thing that I learned from onboarding my first to onboarding my second was to get many more people involved in in the process versus just listening to me all day. And also really allotting some really solid non-training time to be able to just breathe, take breaks. Cause we can't, we can't go through high levels of training eight hours for a day. We need breaks as humans and not necessarily working, but not training time. Like, Hey, go take a walk and like, enjoy the sunshine for a little bit. And then we're going to come back. Trust me, you'll have all the time in the world to get into this. But I think relying on my existing SDR, or if some people's cases, existing people who are in the the role to handle some of those buckets. So for example, Erica did the SDR to AE handoff, right? She also did the cold calling because naturally, why am I going to train him on cold calling and what's being done right now if I'm not the one actively doing it, right? I wanted Erica to do that. So I think just getting more people involved so that you don't feel like it's such a time sink on you, but focusing on making it a really solid experience. Because I'll tell you right now, if you have a really shitty onboarding experience, you're going to lose people. And SDRs are hot commodities right now. You've got to make them feel welcome. You've got to make them feel supported. You got to do it right. Yeah, they got to see success quick. And that's the thing. They have to see success quick. And Miguel booked two meetings in his first week operational. And so seeing that success, we all know this. We like to see success. We like to win. It just gives you more fuel to keep pushing forward towards the goal. You know it works. Now you have proof that what you're doing works. 
you want to keep doing more of it, right? So I think that's that's the part, getting them to success early and quickly by handing them the keys to something you know works and then giving them the ability to have creative freedom within that process, I think is really key to, to avoiding disappointment and burnout. Love it. This one was action-packed. I love the the subject matter expert stuff that we talked about. There's some really good things I think that people can do there. The mastery of channels and this repeatability concept too is kind of interesting. It's how can we create more repeatability in what we're doing? Even if you're a rep listening to this, creating some sort of frameworks or process flow or step-by-step-by-step thing that you're doing right now, just a process that you can go through and follow is just less of a mental hurdle too. We're out of time though. This is a lot of fun. Where where can people go to connect with you? What are you up to these days? What do you want people to go check out? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm an open book on LinkedIn. <laughs> so it's probably the best place to reach out to me. Almost everything that I'm involved in is right on my LinkedIn profile. So it's really easy to kind of see what's going on. But yeah, if you have questions or anything that you want to jam on, you can always hit me up on LinkedIn, connect or DM me and we can chat it out. Yeah, I'd highly recommend checking out Christina's LinkedIn. There's what you post content, I think, every day on LinkedIn. I try. Pretty much every day. (laughs) Pretty much (laughs) once a day. Yeah. Sometimes if I have more to say, but yeah, I stick to about once per day. You also, too, got a course I want to give a plug to because it's really good. I've just heard other people say really good things. So it's tell us what's the course? Where can people find that? Yeah. So it's the first featured link on my LinkedIn page, uh, but it's called the Outbound Fire Framework. It's literally one niche framework that I teach people on how to book more meetings and get more engagement and replies off of mostly cold email and social selling alone. So I kind of take cold calling out of the equation, but I've got lots of teams that are using it as one tool in their tool belt. And so I think it can be really powerful if you're looking to, you know, add some more tools in your SDR tool belt. So... That was a fun one. The biggest thing that I took away is I'm always on the hunt for ways to get more information on our prospects and the people that we're reaching out to. I love this creating like a digest of all the problems in a document. I call it a playbook. You know, having some sort of playbook, Google Doc, Word Doc, something that you can collaborate on as a team where anytime you find good information in competitor case studies, industry publications, et cetera, you're sharing it either in that document or a Slack channel. So that's the thing that I have seen level up messaging the most is when you pay super close attention to what actual prospects are seeing, either online, over the phone, in sales calls, whatever it might be. And you can literally use that stuff word for word when you're doing cold emails and cold calls. So that's my big takeaway. I appreciate you subscribing to the podcast. Give it a like, subscribe, whatever it is, wherever you're listening to it, really appreciate it. So we can continue growing the show and getting more guests on like Christina. So that's all I got for today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon.